Family, let's take a look at the Bible here today. And we have been, this summer, been looking at this theme of spiritual warfare. So let's open our Bibles back up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been actually working on memorizing this passage together as a, as a family. So what we're going to do is just read chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 today. And then we're going to take a look at the first article of armor that we are to be furnished with and that we are to apply to our life. And we'll read about that here in a moment. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. A little prayer now, please. Father, as we look now at this passage You know, we've talked about how we are all in a war here against sin and the world and the devil. We've learned a little bit more about who this devil is and what his schemes or what his methods are. And now we have the responsibility of knowing what our response is to that. So please help us to understand what it looks like to be strong in the Lord. What it looks like to take up the whole armor of God. Help us now to, to be able to, to use what you have furnished for us to be able to walk in godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Aside from the Bible, my favorite book is Pilgrim's Progress. It's, it's a great book written in 1678 by an old guy named John Bunyan, and it is an allegory that provides a picture of the Christian life. There's a man named Christian who lives in the city of destruction, and a man comes up to him named Evangelist and tells them, hey, you need to get out of here. In fact, you need to go on this narrow road that leads to to heaven. And and why don't you leave now? And Christian goes on this place, and and all along this adventure, on this journey, he meets men like Hopeful and, and Faithful and Helps, he also meets people like the atheist, worldly wise, and, and flatterer. And he walks through different areas through this story, like the slew of despondency, the value of the valley of humiliation, vanity fair, and doubting castle. And as he makes his way through this adventure, he is on a course to the celestial city towards heaven. And if you remember that story, there is one encounter with Apollyon. 
It's clearly my boy's favorite part of the story because it's there where he puts on the armor of God and he fights the devil. And then he overcomes the devil by God's strength and he is able to advance all the way to heaven, to the celestial city. As we work through this series on spiritual warfare, I just want to remind you that we are on a journey. We're on a journey together. It began the moment you confessed your sins and repented, and you began to walk with God. He started a good work in you, and and you will see that through until you die or till you see Jesus in heaven. And there are all sorts of different valleys and peaks that we walk through, and there is one enemy that we will encounter over and over and over again, and he is the devil. And so the purpose of this illustration is to say this series is not just about the devil. He is just one person that we encounter on our journey towards heaven. As we read the book of Ephesians, we see the first three chapters have to do with some wonderful doctrine of what the good news is. The next three chapters have to do with how you apply the gospel to your life. It's about speaking truth. It's about living a life of purity. It's about forgiving people who wrong you. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's also about being a good husband, a loving wife, raising your children the way that you ought to. It's about being a great employer, a great employee, And then I remind you that Paul is writing this letter in a Roman jail cell. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I can't help but wonder, he keeps bumping into these Roman soldiers, perhaps even chained to him. The thought comes to his mind like, you know, this is war. Fighting sin, fighting the world, fighting the enemy is like war. And as I close this out, as the Lord is leading me to write this letter, I want to encourage people to put on the full armor of God. So we read and we covered a couple of weeks ago in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Last week in verses 11 and 12, we we learned about this devil and his schemes and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In verse 13, we see that we are to take up the whole armor of God, that we might be able to withstand in the evil day. What is this evil day? Well, it could refer to one specific day, or it could refer to a collection of just days of calamity that will come upon us throughout our life. During this evil day, we are to take up this armor of God. It says there in verse 14 then, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Just by way of introduction, we are being called to dress for the occasion. Oftentimes, when my wife and I are getting ready to go somewhere, it could be for a church event, it could be just going out together, she asked me the question, how are you going to dress? What is the appropriate way for us to dress for this event? I think as we are packing and getting ready, Lord willing, for a camping trip in, in, the, in the waning moments of this afternoon, uh, we have asked ourselves, what's the temperature going to be like? If we go camping, inevitably it's going to rain at some point, so we want to make sure that we are, we are prepared for that. You want to be dressed appropriately for whatever is before you. 
I think it was February of 2019. Uh, it was uh, out there in the Sturgeon Bay area where there was a lot of ice fishermen gathered near Larson's Reef. And I believe it was a Sunday evening and a great wind had, had blown through the, the channel out into the bay, 40 to 50 mile an hour winds. And while there were about 30 fishermen above that reef, because of the high winds, the roads that the, the guides, the charter fishermen would take them out, were blown over by snow. And there was no way to get them back. And so the, the guide that was out there called the DNR, called the, the local fire department, and, and they would send some crews out there in order to rescue these fishermen. Well, some of these fishermen thought that they were going to go from one warm vehicle to a warm vehicle that would take them out to Larson's Reef, from there to a warm shack where they would ice fish, and so they just had on jeans and loafers. And so when they came out to these 40, 50-mile winds, the DNR says, you are not dressed for the occasion. And so they, they equipped them. And so as we look at this passage, as we look at the conflict that we have in the Christian life, what Paul is saying to us is make sure you come dressed for the occasion. And the first article of armor that we see here in verse 14 is the belt of truth. Now, if you have an outline with you, let's just talk for a moment about this belt. Number one, the belt provided the Roman soldier stability, a place to hold his sword and the capacity to spring into immediate action. Why do we wear a belt? Well, one might say uh, we wear a belt to, to, to hold up our pants. And that is true. I've noticed that these pants are a little more snug they wear than they were in recent weeks and months. It must be a design flaw of some sort, right? <laughs> a second reason we wear a belt is we, we tuck our shirt in there. And a third reason we wear a belt is, is for decoration, right? I've been told that whenever you tuck your shirt in, you should wear a belt with it. It, it looks better. I could think of uh, just a, in the spring, our family went down to Texas and we were in Fort Worth at the stockyards and we went into one of those shops and there was this aroma of leather in the air because there were saddles and cowboy boots and, and a lot of people were dressed like cowboys down there. And as I walked around, I saw these big, shiny belt buckles, you know, the, the size of small toasters, right? They were they're like right here. And I thought, now that is something I need right there. Can, I, I need something like that. And then that, that thought said, why? Why would you need something like that? Because it would be entirely for decoration. But for the Roman soldier, the belt was not just decoration. It had multiple uses. They were not furnished with pants, like camel plants, like we might think of in our military today. They were furnished at best with a large cloth that was square. And in that square, there would be a hole cut out for the head and holes cut out for the arms. And it would be slipped over the soldiers. And you can imagine that it would flap in the front and in the back. And if that soldier was called into action immediately, because of this flapping in the front and back, it might entangle their feet. 
When Melanie and I were married uh, early on, we went out to India, and we were told on this mission trip that we were supposed to dress like the locals do. So we went to a tailor, and, and I got these long gowns that were very uh, comfortable, light cotton, and, and they went all the way down to my ankles. And that's how we ministered. We talked with people. And, and it was fine. It was cool. However, if I would try to play soccer, or if I would have tried to play basketball and something like that, I never would have had the mobility. Why? Because of these, the, the way that that tunic or that gown went down to my ankle. I think of when I was a, a teenager, my mom gave birth to the, her daughters. They were twins. And they loved to wear nightgowns. And I can think of a, a June evening where they might look out their bedroom window and see a bunch of fireflies and, and they'd scatter out to the yard and try to chase these butterflies and being so captivated by them in their pursuit of them, they would trip because they would trip up in their, in their gowns. Well, this is the word picture that is provided for us. The belt would allow a soldier to be able to put that tunic or that gown around them in a way, pull it up a bit so that they could spring into action, they could run as fast as they needed to. But it not only did that, but it also freed up their hands because on a belt there could be a sheath where a dagger or a sword could be placed. It could be said that the belt was the first article of armor that the soldier would put on. And it would be the most important of them all. The belt provided the Roman soldier stability, a place to hold a sword, and the capacity to spring into immediate action. So what is the metaphor here? What's the significance of this as we're talking about spiritual warfare, as we're talking about conflict between our sin, about the world, and about the devil? What's the significance of the belt of truth? Well, secondly, the belt of truth offers the Christian stability and the capacity to walk unhindered in his relationship with Jesus. It's not so much a a, a belt as it is truth. As we live out our Christian life, we are to fasten on truth in the same way that a Roman soldier might be able to take up his tunic and and stuff it into his belt so that he could run in an unhindered way, Christians are to take every facet of their life, their thoughts, their words, their motives, their actions, their past, present, and future, and stuff them under the word of truth so that they can walk on their way to the celestial city, on their way to heaven, in an unhindered way. Paul, in Philippians 4, verse 8, said, Finally, brothers, remember this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The first thing we're supposed to think about is whatever is true. Years ago, my wife and I went down to the Atlanta area and we saw this wonderful pastor's conference where we heard of a man by the name of Steve Lawson. Don't know if you've ever heard him. He's a pastor. He's a, uh, an author. 
in, in recent days, I heard him uh, preach on this concept of truth as well as write an article on what is truth. So what I'd like to do is just share with you a few things from what he has had to share about truth that I think are very helpful. I'll give you six distinctives of truth. You see them there in your outline. What is truth? Truth is reality. It is how things actually are. So let's consider truth. Truth is, one, truth is divine. If we're supposed to put on truth, we need to know where does truth come from. God is the one source and sole author of truth. He is called the God of truth in Isaiah 60, 50, 65, 16. Jesus in John 1 verse 14 is called full of grace and truth. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And so where is it that we get this truth? How do we learn about it? The Bible is the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you're looking for truth, look to God. He is the source of truth. The second distinctive of truth is that truth is absolute. All truth is universally true. It is comprehensive, total, and complete. Truth is true whether you believe it or not. Listen to this. Without absolutes, there can be no objective, universal truths. Without absolutes, truth becomes subjective, relative, and pragmatic. Without absolutes, truth gives way to the mere personal and cultural preferences. Recently, the Associated Press ran an article by David Crary and Hannah Fingerhut indicating a solid majority of Americans believe most abortions should be legal in the first three months of a woman's pregnancy. But most say that the procedure should usually be illegal in the second and third trimesters, according to a new poll. And this is how it works, isn't it? We hear popular opinion. And it's as if truth is based on what the popular opinion is. And so popular opinion changes over time. But God's truth is absolute. It doesn't matter what popular opinion says. Thirdly, another distinctive of truth is that it is singular. Truth presents a singular worldview. The truth is not like, I'm going to gather some flowers from here and there and provide this wonderful arrangement or this wonderful bouquet of flowers. So I think I'll go over here and get this one. I think I'll go over here and get this one. I, I like these over here. I, I think I'll gather these and, and I'll put them all together in one bouquet. As if to say, you know, I like what Mark Twain had to say about humor. I like what Mother Teresa had to say about love and sacrifice. I love what Gandhi had to say about simplicity in life. And I'm putting all this together in my little journal, and I'm calling it the Journal of Truth. 
That is not truth. Truth is singular. It prevents It presents one origin of the universe, one problem of the human race, one way to salvation, one way to holiness, one standard for the family, one plan for human history, one consummation of the age. This is truth. A fourth distinctive of truth is that it is objective. Truth is not discovered by personal feelings. You probably heard about an accountant and a psychologist and a lawyer that got together one day to discuss the nature of truth. The psychologist said, working with people, I've learned that truth is what you feel it to be. The accountant said, working with accounts, I've learned that truth is what you need it to be. And of course, the lawyer offered, working in the justice system, I've learned that truth is what you want it to be. But truth is objective. It is accurately stated by the fixed meaning of words and can be observed, discussed, studied, analyzed, believed, proclaimed, and defended. Truth is black and white. It is not abstract or vague. Truth never speaks out both sides of the mouth and never caters to the crowd and never says one thing to one person and something else to another person. This past week, a a famous Olympian that we have here in America named Shikari Richardson was known for running the 100 meter. And I've seen her face frequently. Uh, Unfortunately for her, she... She was tested positive for marijuana consumption. And by doing so, she is not permitted to run then in the Tokyo Olympics. And maybe you've heard this. And I think that's tragic in that she uh, has lived her life in preparation for that and now will not be able to. But I think what is equally tragic is the response I've heard from so many people about the problem is not what Miss Richardson has done. The problem is with the rule. Like, what, kind of, what kind of rule is this that you can't smoke marijuana and run in the Olympics? Well, this is what truth is. Truth is no respecter of persons. Truth will, will hold for all people, whether you're a celebrity or not. The fifth distinctive of truth is that it is unchanging. God does not change, and neither does his truth. Would you agree with me that research changes? Uh, On one year, you might hear that coffee is the best thing you can drink. The next year, it stunts your growth. Uh, One year, eggs, it's the best thing you can put in your body. Uh, The next year, it seems like it causes heart disease. I can remember with our first boy, we were told, whatever you do, make sure that he sleeps on his back. But because you have so many kids, by the time you get to the third or fourth of them, you're told to sleep them on their belly. And, and, and what about COVID? You know, masks work. No, they don't. Masks don't work. And you can get COVID by touching surfaces. No, you can't touch by touching surfaces. And so things change, but not with God. God and his truth is unchanging. And I would say this. 
Just because popular opinion has changed on something, just because there was a law or Supreme Court decision has changed something, that doesn't mean that truth has changed in its perspective of those topics. Truth is always current, always contemporary, always relevant. Truth addresses the issues of the day with penetrating insight. It is never outdated, never obsolete, and never expired. And we are to take this truth, the truth of God's Word, and to apply it to our life. And finally, truth is authoritative. Truth does not stammer or stutter. It speaks with the supreme authority of God Himself. It always makes demands upon us and never offers mere suggestions. It never presents just one more option to consider. It is never intended to be simply interesting. It never speaks to tickle our curiosity. Instead, truth speaks with the voice of sovereignty. Truth roars with the sound of many waters, drowning out every other voice. Truth is commanding, arresting, and directional. It has the authority to order us. Truth must therefore be heard. It demands our undivided attention. We cannot pretend that truth has not spoken. We cannot act as if it will go away. We cannot live in denial of the truth. It lays hold of us by the lapels and draws us close. It summons us and mandates us to complete compliance. Truth has the final word in all matters. This is what we are called to to be people of the truth. It's not one thing to just admire a belt off to the side and say, this is a historical artifact. But as Christians, we are to take on this belt of truth. And then what it says there in in chapter 6, verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So look at number three with me. A Christian must not only know the belt of truth, but fasten it on. We fasten on the belt of truth when we take in the Bible and we apply it. It is not a decoration. It is meant to be worn in battle, worn in conflict against sin, the world, and the devil. It's 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, where Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. On Wednesday evenings, we are... We've been reading through this wonderful little book. It's not too little. It's, uh, it's on spiritual disciplines by Don Whitney. And over the last two weeks, we've been learning about Bible intake. We've been learning that if you want to take in the Bible, if you want to fasten on truth to your life, you do it by hearing the Word of God. You, you do it by reading the Word of God. You do it by studying the Word of God. And then we, we learned of this really helpful little illustration, I think. It's that of a tea bag. Imagine you have a nice hot water in, in a coffee cup, and you want to have tea. And so there's this tea bag that's dropped into that water, and it's brought back out. He said that's the equivalent of hearing the Word of God once a week. 
And then imagine you say, I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm so grateful for all of you that are in our Bible reading program. We've already read through the New Testament. And we're about halfway through all of the the Old Testament. But he said, it's as if you, you put that in and you dip it a little bit more in that water. And it might provide a little bit of a flavor change the color a little bit within that that mug. But then you might say, I want to study the Bible. And that is very helpful too. We ought to all be studying, what does this word mean? What does this verse mean? How can I cross-reference this to other places within the Scripture? But are you really growing in godliness? So then he says, really, what you ought to do is memorize Scripture. Because once the scripture is there in your mind and in your heart, then you are able to meditate on it. And it's like taking that tea bag and just putting it right there and keeping it right there in that hot water mug. And what will eventually happen? It, It will change everything in that water, will it not? It will change the color of it. It will change the taste of it. And he says, that's what we need to do with the word of truth. We need to have our lives saturated by the Word of God. Maybe another way of saying it is we need to fasten the truth onto our lives. In all of this, we need to apply the Word. And I'm not coming to you today like a drill instructor and saying, you are going out for battle, so so what you need to do is you need to, to put on the Word of God and this is all upon you. I was thinking of the movies like Rocky where maybe he was defeated and he needed to go through some extensive training and preparation for his next war. Maybe you had a rough week this week and you're coming in here thinking you're going to get a pep talk. Here's what you really need to do. And I think of Rocky's manager, Mickey, that that had that little thing in his ear and he'd always talk out of the side of his mouth. And he would say, what you need to do is try harder. You need to get out there and get after it. That's not so much what I'm talking about today. It's not so much the armor of God is built on what you can do. It's about what's been provided for you. This truth is not something we have to pursue. It's something we get to pursue. In Psalm 19, it says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. This truth that is contained within God's word, the standard by which we are to live, is to be sought after more than gold. Our family's watching some teachings by Paul Washer in the morning, and he said something like this. uh, If you were told that there was gold in your backyard and all you had to do was dig a hole 10 feet deep and 10 feet wide, would you do it? I guarantee you I would. But what he says here is the scriptures contain truth that is to be more sought after than gold. And if you and I would dig a hole in our backyard 10 feet deep and 10 feet wide, how much more ought we to dig in the scriptures? And then finally, we fasten on the truth when we walk with the person of truth, that is Jesus. You may find yourself here today saying, you know, I've, I've had a rough week. I haven't had a lot of Bible intake. I haven't memorized a verse since uh, Barack Obama was president or whatever. I kind of feel like a failure right now. 
Well, I would invite you to the person who is truth. Jesus has come. And he has come to take your sin upon himself. Not only that, he he died on the cross. And three days later, he rose again to offer grace to you. Grace of forgiveness and grace that would transform your lives. It's not about you doing harder and working better and and putting a bunch of eggs in a cup and drinking it like Rocky and says, today I'm going to get after it this week. But rather it's about applying the furnishings, the armor that God has given by His grace to say, I am going to put on the Lord Jesus this week. Put on the Lord Jesus today. I was listening to Alistair Begg this week and he was talking about the belt of truth and he used a wonderful illustration of the Russian doll. You know what those are? It's those little things that maybe there's a small one, there's another bigger one and a bigger one and a bigger one and next thing you know they're like this. And, and he said, you know, that's a great picture of their armor of God. You and I, we're that tiny little one right there. And then there's layers and that's, that's the grace of God. That's the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb. That's the Holy Spirit. That is all the equipment that God has given to us to fight against sin, fight against the world, fight against the devil. What we need to do is in our weakness ask for strength and allow him to apply it in our life. Loved ones, we are on a journey. Let us be the evangelists. Let us be the faithful ones. Let us be hopeful and let us all walk with the belt of truth fastened around our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, in a world where there are so many ideas swirling, and even a young person can say, I've seen so much change from when I was a kid to when I was a teenager to to what I am now, of how words have changed, vocabulary has changed, definitions have changed. There is great freedom in us to be able to go back to the Scriptures and say, truth is divine. Truth is absolute. Truth is unchanging. It is not open for popular opinion. And so with humble hearts, we we come together and say, this is the truth that's contained about you in your word. We pray that you would help us to to tuck all the areas of our life into that truth. But if we are honest, there are some items that are still dangling about. There are lies that the devil has told us about you and about ourselves. And, and, And maybe we've even believed them, that you could never forgive that sin that you could never use us, that we will always be in this situation, we'll always be stuck. Oh, Lord, help us to replace the lies that we are so prone to believe with truth. Help us to stand on this truth. Help us to fasten it around our lives. And as we do so, may we walk out boldly into the work that you have called us to do on this journey towards heaven, towards the celestial city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.